0: This is KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM, and this is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khan-Nam.
1: And this is Jamal Dajani.
0: Jamal, we have a great show today, and actually today we're very fortunate to have in studio with us Kate Jessica Raphael, who is a novelist and quite an extraordinary person besides just being a novelist, and she's written this incredible I would call it kind of mystery. Um,
2: It's not kind of a mystery, Jess, it is a mystery. Okay,
0: I was (laughs) trying to leave it to the imagination a bit, but it's called Murder Under the Fig Tree, a Palestine Mystery. And there are so many things, Kate, in the title that are intriguing. Murder Under the Fig Tree is, is mysterious enough, but then a Palestine mystery adds something to it which really is beyond intriguing. And first of all, thank you for coming in. We're really delighted to have you. Tell us a little bit, before we get to the book, about what inspired you to write the book.
2: Well, so this is the second in my Palestine mystery series. The first Murder Under the Bridge came out two years ago, almost exactly. And... I came back from Palestine with a thousand, I had been there for off and on, but for about 18 months over a period of about three years, I had been writing kind of profusely, both letters home and journal entries. And I came back with about a thousand pages of stuff that I knew no one would want to read. I mean, even if I still did to two, 300 pages of journals, I didn't feel like there was an audience for that that wouldn't already have read a lot of my work. And I was trying to think how to get, Mm. how to use the experience to do what Palestinians begged us to do. And anyone who has spent time in Palestine knows that, you know, people are incredibly generous and they just gave us the best of everything, even when they had very little to share. And what they asked in return was go home and tell people our stories. And I would think, mm-hmm. well, I could tell people, but I don't think they're going to listen. And, you know, or like I had this feeling like, well, people already know, they just don't really care. And how could I make people care? How could I use what I had learned to you know, get a new audience involved. And I got the idea for writing a mystery because it was something that hadn't really been done from that perspective. And I love mysteries. I read them, I read some while I was in Palestine when I had downtime, not that I had that much, but you know, it's my reading of choice. And so Mm. I felt like, let's see if I can use this forum to expand the audience for reading about Palestine
1: yeah and uh, actually throughout the book i mean two things i mean this is maybe a two part question you draw on your personal experience you have uh, you know such as being deported uh, you you're using fictitious name but the main character uh, somehow it, it tells your own story in a, in, a, in a, you know you in a, in a different way and then a lot of the parts that you describe discusses Palestinian culture? Like, you know, you you try to go translating some of the words and explaining the customs. I mean, is this kind of like part of the whole journey taking or you're expecting your people to know uh, about the Palestinian culture or you're expecting them that they need some education?
2: No, I want people to learn about Palestinian culture, about what it's I want people to get the feeling of what it's like to be there. So both the the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, the experience of occupation and the sort of... I mean, it's perfect for noir in a certain way because there's this tension that just hovers over the place all the time. This, this sort of low-level dread. Is this going to be the day that someone I love is arrested, is killed, is disappeared, is tortured? Right. Is it going to be the day that I'm in that situation or am i you know and then there's the sort of constant nagging am i going to get where i need to go are they going to suddenly throw up roadblocks are the israelis gonna you know declare a curfew or something come to tell me that my house is illegal and is going to be torn down and is that going to happen on the day that they say it's going to happen or is it going to happen three months later or you know am i going to be able to get to court to fight the order so you know so that 's the bad part, and the you know ugly part, but then there 's the beautiful part of the community, the eating together, the constant drinking tea, what we used to call brutal Palestinian hospitality you know you just couldn 't get out without that last cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I want people to have that experience also and and also the experience of what is it like to be an international in a conflict situation, you know which is the part that I know that. You know, right. Chloe, my sort of alter ego in these books. I feel sometimes that I imbued her with all of my terrible qualities and not <laughs> not as many of my good ones. But I, I think that's I, true. I, I try to true. tone it down some, but you know that her intentions are so good, but she can be a bit of a bull in a china shop, and you know, not always getting what people really want from her always sort of worrying, am I doing the right thing? But Mm. at the same time, you always are worrying about that. You know, maybe I didn't wear it on my sleeve as much as she does, but you know, and then, so I have two protagonists in these novels. Chloe is this international Jewish American peace worker, not like anyone, any of us ever met. And, (laughs) or we maybe hope we didn't meet people like her, but you know, but I did, honestly, I really did. And then Rania is a Palestinian policewoman who works for the Palestinian Authority, or at least she did in the first book. And in the second, we find Something her happens. in prison and, you know, as a casualty of the Israeli rage at the Palestinian elections and the fact that the Palestinians had a nerve, the nerve mm. to vote for candidates that they didn't like. So they rounded up a lot of police because they see them as threats and Rania finds herself Um, caught up in that situation. So she's sitting in prison and when she gets out, suddenly then people aren't quite sure how she got out. So there's some suspicion and also the assets have been frozen so there's no money. So right now she's a bit um, at loose ends Mm. and that sort of sets off the events of this book.
0: Well, I am really struck by the word Palestine, the words Palestine mystery. Because I think mystery is a very good word, but it's also a, a very complex word. I'm going to ask you to riff on it because it's a genre, obviously, m- murder mystery. But at the same time, and you alluded to this in the beginning, every day is a bit of a mystery in Palestine, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that when you Google Palestine mystery, which I you know do sometimes because I want to see, like, does my book come up, <laughs> you know, um, and other things, are there others that I should know about? Um, You'll find the words often don't mean what I mean by them. Like often it means sort of the mystery of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or, you know, the mysteries of the Holy Land. So yeah, I mean, I think the situation is mysterious to us here and it's made deliberately more mysterious by the Zionist propaganda machine and the fact that you know, there's so much effort to obfuscate what's really going on and not ever say the word apartheid, for instance, or dispossession, or, you know, to really talk about what's going on so that you know, part of, it's true that, like, I'm writing mysteries, but at the same time, I'm trying to demystify the situation for people who may really believe, you know, I think there's so many people who really believe that, oh, it's just this ancient, you know, centuries-old conflict, which it's totally not, you know, it's a it's a very recent conflict. I mean, Jews and you know, Muslim Arabs and Christian Arabs lived together in the Middle East for many centuries without conflict. And this is a very recent imperialist created conflict. And, you know, so that, yeah, it is a little ironic that I'm writing mysteries in an attempt to demystify. That's exactly the point,
0: you know, I was hoping you would make because that's exactly what it is. It's a genre of mystery novel, but at the same time, it's, it's a kind of clarity that you don't get in a lot of different writings about what's happening in Palestine.
2: Well, that's what I hope for. And, you know, I mean, I recognize I own the fact that I'm not Palestinian. And so I'm writing from my perspective, which is a Jewish American perspective of somebody who did live in Palestine and experienced all that great hospitality, but not as a Palestinian. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would hope that people that this is kind of Pamela Olson who wrote a great book, travel book called uh, Fast Times in Palestine called her book a gateway drug you know. and I hope mm-hmm. that people will use this book as an entree into reading more from a Palestinian perspective
1: You're listening to the voice of author Kate Raphael and author and activist I have to say uh, her book is Murder Under the Fig Tree And uh, I should say also that on Tuesday, October 3rd at 7 p.m. at uh, 518 Valencia Street, uh, you're having a book celebration.
2: I am indeed. It's hosted by Middle East Children's Alliance, and I'm really grateful for them. They've done amazing organizing. It's going to be a benefit for them. So all book sales that night will be benefits for Mecca. And as I think your listeners probably know, you know, Mecca the way that they fund themselves is through mainly their print shop and all of the money that's raised at their events goes directly to Palestine and we all need and especially to Gaza and we all know like how desperately that money is needed. So it's a great chance to come out, hear a lot more about the book, eat, great food um i'll have manaish from Reims bakery mm-hmm. as well as some some food that mecca is providing some salads and snacks and there will also be cake with a fig tree on it oh, and, that, that, actually and, figs like and um, that actually
0: sounds like a good time
1: how many books do you uh, envision being in this uh, series because it's somehow described that you're keeping people on on the edge that this is part of a series
2: series. yeah well you know i wasn't very smart in certain ways or i was very naive when i started writing i was like not really thinking about what it means to write a book and like what the timeline on that tends to be and writing a series and so if i had been thinking about that i might have set the first ones a little bit further back in my time in palestine oh two or oh three maybe i would but you know because i was deported in oh five i don't believe that it would ever be possible for me to go back. Well, so tell, don't us, tell,
1: tell us, uh, let our number one, our audience, understand what does it mean to be deported from Israel and why you were deported.
2: Yes, yeah, so I was arrested at. Actually, two different demonstrations um, about a year apart. I was arrested at one of the first demonstrations in the the village of Budras and against the wall construction there. And then at the very first demonstration in Berlin, which I'm sure people know about through the movie, uh, Five Broken Cameras and other... You know, that was a very protracted, dramatic struggle in that village. So that was in late 2004. And the first time I was kicked out of the country, but I was able to return. The second time I was arrested... I was held in prison for about a month and then deported, which means my visa was canceled. I was, you know, put on a plane by police and sent back to the States after an appeals process that was, you know, sort of my personal experience with Israeli um, the sort of perverseness of Israeli occupation. I had a visa that was valid for a month, so they scheduled the hearing for the day after my visa expired. So visa. then, and then it was like, well, your visa's expired, so you're deported. So that was, you know, their their way. I saw that so often in Palestine, you know, they would give somebody a confiscation order for their house and they would have 3 days to appeal it and then surprise surprise there's a 3 day curfew and so nobody can get to where the court is to file the appeal so this was you know my personal little tiny experience of this so i mean basically it means i can't go back technically the deportation was for 10 years mm-hmm. so which is up so maybe, you know, I could apply if I needed to, but I just don't see them letting me back in. And honestly, you know, I don't think it's that important that I go there. I went to sort of see and experience for myself what occupation is. I really got it. You know, the work is here. It's BDS. It's writing these books. It's talking to people. It's it's countering the Zionist propaganda machine. You know, I just want to say, too, that I'm a member of QUIT, Queers Undermining Israeli Terrorism. This book, both of my books have lesbian content. This one has sort of more gay content and, you know, sort of more deals directly with some of the pinkwashing and, Mm -hmm. you know, issues around sexuality in Palestine. Um, So that's something that. You know, I've always felt strongly about working on and talking about. So, I mean, that's my work. I don't need to go to Palestine. But one of the things it means is that I, you know, have a... I'm not able to really write about Palestine the way it is now. And I don't want to write about things I don't really know about. So, this... I I envision one more book that takes place in Palestine, and... Well, you should um, have a
0: book of what happened to you in prison, I mean... um, Well,
2: a lot of that is in the first one, Murder Under the Bridge. There's a long section where Chloe is in prison, so I used some of that, but I... I have one more book in mind that's going to be directly about BDS. And mm. so I'm really excited. I'm going to write the first draft of that in November, something called National Novel Writing Month, which takes place every year in November where you write 50,000 words in 30 days. So I'll do the first draft there. Um, and then, so that'll be number three, Murder at the Roadblock. Um, then I have two more. One will be here in San Francisco, but sort of based on events in Palestine and then someone uh, suggested one that might take place on a flotilla Gaza. So so besides this event uh, on on
1: Tuesday, how uh, what's the easiest way for people to get the book?
2: Um, I will also be reading on uh, October nineteenth at a reading called "Perfectly Queer," um, which is a series at Dog-Eared Books in the Castro. So that's I think also at seven p.m. October nineteenth. I'll be at the Howardson Book Fair on November nineteenth as part of a panel. And but you know my website kateraphael.com. If people want to go there, that's Raphael with a P.H. like the angel or the <laughs> painter. You should um, spell it Kate. <laughs> Kate, kateraphael.com k-a-t-e-r-a-p-h-a-e-l dot if you click on buy, buy the book you'll find out all the you know there's bookstores in town that are carrying it you can get it of course on Amazon and IndieBound anywhere that you Powell's anywhere you like to buy books you know indie bookstores are great and I hope people will support our local indie stores that are carrying my book and actually Barnes & Noble I have to say too is also really supporting of indie authors, and so that's a great place to buy books.
0: That's the voice of Kate Raphael, uh, author, activist extraordinaire. She, This is her book, Murder Under the Fig Tree, A Palestine Mystery. We want to thank Kate for joining us today, and I do want to encourage our listeners, Jamal, this is, this is really an important book to read for lots of reasons. You know, this is not a blog post. This is not a rant on... On various media outlets. This is a legit mystery novel that you will actually learn quite a bit about. So I want to really encourage our listeners to take this one on and uh, read Kate's book. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I mean, I just want to say like, you know, I try to make these books a good time to read. I mean, I want them first and foremost to be good mystery, you know, good reading. And I hope that I've done that. And I love to hear from people Any thoughts that you have, especially about what you'd like to see happen in future books? Okay, thanks. Thanks so much.
1: We're going to take a short musical break. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM.
2: All
0: right, this is Arab Talk. This is KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal.
1: Jess, that was an interesting interview. It was. It really uh, actually, was. I I've was uh, very good. L- uh, read the book, and it's very intriguing, and has a lot of information also about the situation. Besides, if you are a, a an avid reader of mystery stories, but it also
0: gives you some nuance about what's happening in Palestine from the perspective of a you know outsider who who has spent a lot of time not only in Palestine, but thinking about these issues. So, uh, you know, if if you're tired of reading news articles or you're tired of reading blog posts and you want a little, you know, break from that and, and to get another perspective on what's happening
1: in Palestine, this is a really great read. So anyway, I want to switch uh, gears here yeah. and, What's up? and have you talk to me about, uh, you know, uh, some breaking news. Uh, but I didn't know that uh, now we uh, have Sharia law. And is it in Illinois?
0: No, it's, uh, I, I think, Alabama, this, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, and I, I think this is really important, Jamal, because you and I have spent decades denying the existence of Sharia law in this country, and I'm afraid that uh, you and I have been wrong, and in fact, uh, Sharia law does exist in this country, and you and I have to apologize and uh, come clean, and I think it's really important for our listeners to know that this is apology, a deep apology coming from (laughs) you and I. That we've denied the existence of Sharia law I don't in know. United people are States.
1: taking you very seriously here.
0: <laughs> well, here's the but, thing, Jamal. Here's okay. the thing. All
1: right. let's, let's get serious he, now. Let,
0: let, let's look about what's happening in Alabama with mm-hmm. a, a runoff election between two Republican candidates. When Jeff Sessions was uh, appointed, you know, attorney general for the United States, he was a senator at the time, so... Um, the governor of the state, under a cloud of you know lots of problems, uh, uh, appointed this guy Big Luther, you know, um, as the uh, stand-in senator for Sessions. The special election is up. Luther is running against this guy called Roy Moore. Now, Roy Moore is an interesting character. Jamal- he's, a, he's a judge. He's a former judge.
1: Former judge.
0: Yeah, he's the former Supreme Chief.
1: Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court and the front runner. Well, he won. He won on in Tuesday's. He was the front runner in the Alabama Senate Republican right primary. He, he, so now he, he, he beat
0: he, he beat Donald Trump's, uh, you know, pers- the person you know Luther that the one Donald Trump had uh, wanted and had supported and endorsed. And not only did he beat uh, Luther, he beat him by ten points and i just want to talk a little bit about this gentleman and link it with sharia law when i say sharia law and when we talk about it in this context remote, so it's it's really a theo- it it's a belief in a theocracy and not a democracy so this guy is a judge he's been a chief justice for the alabama supreme court he's been kicked off twice and why the, why and the reason he's been kicked off twice is that he has said on numerous occasions that the Constitution of the United States is not the highest law of the land, that the highest law of the land is the law of God.
1: Well, that's Sharia.
0: That is Sharia. That's that's
1: the true definition <laughs> of definition. Of you know, whether you use the Arabic word Sharia or uh, Jewish uh, following the Talmudic uh, the, law. Talmud or, or Halakha or Al-Qur. whatever. Uh, it basically, it means, uh, you're following the law of the book, which is what book do you choose? Whether it's the Old Testament, the Bible, the Quran. But this guy is saying that the law of the land should be coming from the Bible.
0: Well, he has actually said among the most xenophobic, racist, hateful things. He has said that. I mean, one of the reasons he got booted from the bench, so to speak, is that he put a four-ton statue of the Ten Commandments in the Alabama Supreme Court was told to get rid of it you know because it, it didn't reflect the separation of church and state he refused because he said this is the law of the land he said that the Ten Commandments Jamal were the were, were, was the the rule and the law of the land not the Constitution of the United States, not the Constitution or the laws of the state of Alabama. But this is a guy who believes that he and I'm, I'm curious to see if he does win, you know, and becomes a senator because he's gonna have to swear to uphold the Constitution. And this is a guy who doesn't believe to uphold the law of the Constitution because he believes that God is above the Constitution.
1: But he seems to suffer from schizophrenia. Or a split personality. Wherever I'm not a, an expert on, you're more of an expert because I'm, I'm getting a quote from him, and then this is uh, something that he said. He said there are communities under Sharia law right now <laughs> in our country. Yes, there. Are. <laughs> pointing specifically to Illinois and Indiana. Right, right. When asked to clarify which communities he was talking about, Moore said that he didn't know, and that that doesn't matter. Uh, and then he says i was informed that there were communities under sharia law so so he's claiming that there are muslim communities or communities in the united states who practice or who fall under the Sharia law? Yet he promotes he promotes Sharia law. Sharia law in his own way because he wants to run the country or rule the country in accordance to the to the to the exactly. Bible. And that's kind of my point, Jamal. When I, I mean, I was so. M- what do you call this? Is this uh, something? Sh- it's Christian Sharia law. No, no, but is he schizophrenic? Does he have a split personality? No, I think he's is, just. Or I he's think just a
0: hypocrite. I think he's hateful. Hip, a hateful hypocrite who's deeply racist and xenophobic. And the other thing that he said is that Keith Ellison, who is the congressman from the, from the great state of uh, Minnesota, I think, or Wisconsin, they're both great states, who's Muslim, identified. He said that Keith Ellison should not be able, under his law, serve as a congressman for the United States of America because he's Muslim. And he has also said things like the attacks of 9-11 and the hurricanes that recently destroyed Houston and other parts of the United States and, and the Caribbean were God's punishment to the United States for you know all sorts of things related to um, just not believing in, in God. I mean, it's just truly extraordinary that we're living in a time when this guy is going to be not only voted for as a senator, but is going to have a seat at the table at really the most, uh, well, I don't know, arguably the most important legislative body, you know, in the United States, and some people might argue in the world. I mean, the whole point of the Senate, Jamal, is that you come together and you attempt to legislate. You have more engaged thought and analysis about law, so on and so forth. And the idea that this avowed racist, bigot, xenophobic, individual is going to come who actually does not believe that the Constitution is the highest law of the land. I mean, what other countries? There are two other countries that don't have a constitution uh, that believe that uh, God is the uh, is the
1: ultimate source of law. Saudi Arabia is one
0: Israel is the other.
1: That's right. So he what is that telling us? I don't know, but basically what's telling us that, especially now since he's getting elected or since his win, uh, his empowerment will encourage zealotry and lawlessness in the land uh, because, you know, his campaigns, I mean, he he has been campaigning for religious symbols on uh, public property in defiance of the constitution. He's against so many things. Of course, he's against Muslims, but he's also against uh, uh, the LGBT community. He's against same sex uh, marriage. Uh, He he rejected federal court orders based on on his apparent view that his personal religious convictions superseded the nation's civil law. Uh, What? It's a nightmare, Jess. What
0: universe is this individual and I, I don't know Alabama. We love y'all down in Alabama. Y'all have a great state down there. But for you guys to elect, potentially elect this guy, your U.S. Senator. I mean, I really am hoping. I mean, you know, the hypocrisy. I mean, it. you know, my my sarcasm
1: is obvious. It's I'm um, He is. He is. I just want to clarify. You don't advocate for Sharia. law.
0: I am not an advocate for (laughs) Sharia law. What I'm an advocate for is the Constitution and I'm an advocate for the rule of law. The rule of law says the Constitution of a of a country, of a state, local laws. You need to be held accountable for local laws. And for this guy to say the Constitution is not what I uphold the law to be. But the law of God, the way he interprets it, is truly outrageous. The folks of Alabama, y'all need to wake up, number one. And I think this is kind of a wake-up call because you're right, Jamal. This is going to generate and support and aspire people to have even more hate towards Latinos, LGBTQ communities, Muslims, Arabs, all sorts of things. This is this is, you know, the, the height of... It's the next phase of what we heard from Charlottesville.
1: Well, uh, on this topic, we're going to take a short musical break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about Islamophobia at home at San Francisco State University and the, the recent uh, March of the Bigots at UC Berkeley that yeah, happened this past weekend. Yeah, we talk about
0: that. This is KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is uh, Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. And Jamal, we have a lot to talk about, obviously. I know we we got through Sharia law. I mean, it was a sarcastic. You and I obviously both don't believe that Sharia law in the traditional sense exists at all or anywhere in this country. But there are right-wing extremists who are attempting to subvert the Constitution. And I think, you know, people obviously need to know that if you're going to elect that person
1: to the U.S. Senate. And, uh, you know, we talked about this last week and the week before, and we had several guests actually talking about the issues that have been happening right here in the Bay Area. But the Bay Area has been in the, what do you call it, the cross cross Crosshairs. Crosshairs of those extremists and these bigots, they're targeting uh, college campuses, UC Berkeley, San Francisco State University, even California, UC Irvine. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, I want to talk about a few things to follow up on our conversations. We had Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, who uh, has been under attack at San Francisco State University. But wait, I want to really make sure our listeners read
0: your Huffington Post article. So I want to refer our listeners to the Huffington Post And and uh, they need to check out your article, which is a great analysis about what's happening right now in 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 the university and here in the Bay.
1: Yeah, they just uh, all what you need to do is just uh, actually Google Islamophobia at home (laughs) at San Francisco State (laughs) University, which is really the title. But new posters we talked about this a right. couple of weeks ago this past uh, you know and a uh, weekend and uh, also this week at different campuses but new posters have been popping up on college campuses in a smear campaign to vilify academics and students right here in the bay area san francisco state university is one uc berkeley is another one uc irvine is another one then we 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 learned that uh, the college uh, brooklyn college was also had this smear campaign going on and the university of chicago and the university of chicago basically uh, the david horowitz's so-called Freedom Center, which is a far far right organization focused on anti Muslim activism is behind it because they don't even hide like no, you know, we they were don't talking hide about it. how the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. They used to wear these white sheets. Now they don't. Now they just march right there in the open. The same thing. These posters appear with the website of the Freedom Center like saying we're we're posting these. Um, also, this past weekend, and I think it's still going, unless it ended, you have that uh, 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 hate monger uh, Milo. Uh, he
0: was only there for twenty minutes, Jamal.
1: Uh, Yiannopoulos. Yiannopoulos. He came yeah.
0: Sunday for twenty minutes. He,
1: he came to to kick off uh, to kick off his uh, week. What he called it, uh, I think. Uh, uh, freedom, free speech week, or something like that, which yeah. is you know nonsense, but anyway, he you're right, he, but it was highly publicized, so there is a correlation between the posters and his appearance because he highly publicized it initially, saying that Ann Coulter was going to come, Steve Bannon was going to come, Horowitz was going to be no there. No one showed up, yeah, uh, uh, maybe Horowitz came, but the big guns and Coulter. She didn't come. Steve Bannon didn't come. He spoke in front of actually people demonstrating against his. There were more there. people
0: demonstrating that came to for hear him for
1: fifteen minutes. Yet, but what I'm saying, this is something really important. This is again in the article. This stunt or these stunts have cost California taxpayers how much? One point four million dollars. Unbelievable on security. Uh, this information. This is inf- this information is from UC Berkeley. I haven't talked yet about San Francisco State University, but UC Berkeley incurred two hundred thousand dollars for Milo's appearance. This is the one from February. We don't have the figures from today, from this weekend. Just to provide extra security, then they spent preparing for Ann Coulter six hundred. I'm going repeat: six hundred thousand dollars. Six hundred thousand. Yes, sir. Six hundred thousand dollars for an event which was ultimately canceled by the sponsoring groups on campus. She didn't even. She didn't even show up. This is just to provide security because, if you remember, the last time Milo right. came, they had riots and right. that went got out of control. Also. A recent talk by Ben Shapiro, another star in this uh, he's a Breitbart star. In this this cabal also cost six hundred thousand dollars. So one point four million dollars. Oh, my God, were spent. So these guys could come and they're raising tuition and, at the UC campus. Yeah, they don't have money to spend on scholarships or on infrastructure, structure and so forth. Faculty. So, so, so it's not a joke, but uh, these posters appeared. That's that's kind of the timing with this event. UC Berkeley, UC Irvine, Irvine San Francisco State University in a kind of uh, the wild wild west wanted poster, you know, vilifying those who appeared on it in a cartoonish way uh. that they are wanted and criminals. So I have I I don't want to devote the entire show talking about this because we've been talking about but we are going to keep updating our listeners every week. We have to. But I want to comment on two things. At least I'll stick with the issues at hand right here in the Bay Area. These posters when they appeared uh, at UC Berkeley, the chancellor of UC Berkeley, um, Carol Christ. She immediately sent out an email to students, faculty and staff condemning these cowardly and I'm quoting, cowardly acts in the strongest possible terms. She promised an investigation by the UUC police Department. She had the wow. police department uh, you know, investigate. They're investigating. Wow. This. In contrast, San Francisco State University president remains AWOL. What I heard recently that he did send an email only to some staff and whatever, but no press conference, no press conference, nothing. No I public mean, I, statement. No, no public statement about it. That we've heard also the San Francisco campus police where, uh, because this happens, uh, I, I guess uh, at least um, two more times, before, right? Uh, when they were called, they were told no one touches the posters. This is uh, freedom of speech. Unbelievable. So they let the posters there. You know, they they were protecting the rights of these bigots and uh, and the San Francisco State University. They didn't reach out to the community, the communities uh, who were affected. No Arabs, Muslims, etc. And instead, the president of San Francisco State University is having a task force. Don't say that word, it Jamal. Met, it, it met on September 26. Just it, uh, it met already. It met, and he's addressing campus climate. But according to the agenda of the task, for, for, uh, task force for the academic year of 2017-2018, it has been defined solely to address the safety of Jewish students on campus have no problem with that. The eradication of anti Semitism. No problem with that, because I think all all kinds of hate speech should be uh, fought. And they, you know, but then he says, following this initial focus, according to his letter, which he sent on uh, September first, the task force will expand to consider, to consider to consider Islamophobia. So they're not going to. They might do it. Yeah, they'll consider it after all the posters were sent. So I think President Les Wang is living in La La Land. He should join that cast of La La Land in the movie. Maybe unbelievable He's doing nothing. It's very shameful. And we're going to keep our listeners, our public informed about these things because it is something that is very serious right here in the Bay Area and the entire country.
0: Yeah, I agree. And here's here's my issue les wong is doing the same thing that donald trump did in charlottesville i mean when when you have when you have an incitement to violence and you as a leader don't condemn it it gives people permission to engage in that violence against these communities so just as donald trump said there were good people on both sides and his inability to condemn white supremacy, his inability to condemn the KKK, his inability to condemn violence against African Americans foments that violence. I believe that Les Wong and his inability to condemn incitement to violence is giving
1: it free reign on the SFU SFSU campus. Yeah, it's very sad. I think people should take action. They should call his office and express their Basically, It's very disturbing, you know, this pleasure uh, about his reaction. Do you
0: have uh, his phone number, by the way? Should we I'm give sure, it up?
1: I'm sure it's very easy to find out. This is uh, the Office of the office, President. Office of the President. And I think you can even write an email to president at sfsu.edu. Uh, edu. So uh, make yourself heard. So we have 15 minutes. I want to discuss briefly uh, and things, you know, we got caught up with a lot of topics and this is a great show. I mean, great interview early on three items okay. in about 10 minutes. Hurry up, man. The first, first thing man is I am starting to doubt that Puerto Rico is US territory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have I've learned. Listen, I have breaking news as for an you. immigrant Puerto Ricans 40 years ago that Puerto Rico is US territory. Am I wrong? Puerto Ricans are Americans. Everybody,
0: if you're from Puerto Rico, you are an American. You have an American passport. You are an American citizen. However, Uh, it seems like Donald Trump
1: doesn't understand that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. And then that's the question. How long is it going to take to really treat them like American citizens and help the devastation that they've actually witnessed. But But listen,
0: it's been a week and they still don't have electricity. It's been a week and literally people are dying in hospitals. It's been a week and uh, people who are and older adults who are in nursing homes are dying because there's no water, food or medicine. What country in the world lets its citizens die like that refusing to and refusing to help them. And and you know, they they have all this all these supplies, Jamal sitting on the dock in San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico, and they're not offloading it. They're not distributing it. They're not uh, you know, they're they barely have cell service. It's a major catastrophe, man. I don't understand.
1: Yeah, and this, this is really you know, when you compare it with the of course all the other what happened in Florida and Texas and the reaction and the support. And now finally he's like, Oh, we're gonna do something about it. But it's really logistically very difficult. That's bogus, you know, to to help the people there because it is an island. I don't buy that. (laughs) I really don't buy it. It's
0: an island. What does
1: that mean? You know, it makes it more difficult to transport. We have planes, you know, But we we managed to invade invade countries and and bring within 24 hours and uh, planes and whatever. The other topic, which is really, really bugging the hell out of me is this whole thing about going after the athletes on the whole issue of kneeling, you know, during the national anthem and labeling people being unpatriotic. Because you are protesting racism and the whole issue. I mean, I mean, and for me, like when I hear these debates, uh, they're in a whole different world. I mean, the issue is not about protesting the flag; it's about protesting racism and police brutality and police brutality. That's where it started. Things that we are not talking about racism Uh, yesterday. We're talking about. Hundreds of years. Well, 400 and years. And for African yeah. Americans, for 400 years in this country. And Trump, you know, is turning this, he's splitting the country, you know, splitting it like, you know, if you don't, you know, if you need, if you, or if you protest the government or the actions of the police or racism, then you are unpatriotic. You don't belong here. You're a traitor, basically. Right. You know, and He's calling those players S.O.B.s. Let's tra- You know what? Imagine I, the president of, of the, the so-called free world. Uh, how free is that? You know what? I don't. Under- calls American citizens. Calls stars. Uh, uh, I mean, football stars, sports. Stars, the, the people. A uh, lot of kids idolize, idolize these players, That's right. and you're calling them S.O.B.s. You know what? I don't understand, Jamal. I think you're right on, but
0: you know what? I don't understand. He condemns. NFL. Well, let's call it out Af- mostly African-American athletes for protesting uh, police brutality and racism. And then he doesn't condemn the KKK or white supremacists. So explain to me how him about a week to say the word white supremacy. I know explain to me what it says about the country and, and the and the so-called leader, the leader who sits in the White House, that he is unable to condemn The KKK. He's unable to condemn the brutality that happened at Charlottesville. He's unable to condemn police brutality. Yet he complain he he will he will uh, target, if you will, people exercising their First Amendment right to criticize the fact that racism still exists and that police brutality exists. What is happening? I don't understand.
1: Well, the final bit of news, and this, we'll this end, is all we'll, good news. We'll, I mean, we'll, why are we? I mean, we'll, we'll end on this last bit of information because, like I said, this is going to be like speed dating, uh, unfortunately, Jess. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh, don't
0: get me started,
1: please. Uh, is, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is very angry.
0: He's he is so angry. He's, that's he's, true.
1: He's always he's always angry about something. What but, is he angry about mo- now? Most recently, he's angry because uh, the Interpol admitted Palestinian uh, admitted the, uh, Palestine as a member. Oh, that's so, right. So so this was a this was a he's angry. This he's is a It's
0: not going to honor Interpol.
1: Yeah, a b- a big, uh, big news because uh, the International Police Agency Interpol voted uh, on Wednesday to include Palestine as a member state in a new boost to Palestinian efforts for international recognition. So uh, this drew an angry Israeli reaction and threat of retaliation. It's always like about the threat of retaliation. How are they gonna
0: retaliate against Interpol?
1: And then they said this also and this is something like really stupid uh, by report uh, from Associated Press and says it also raised concerns that the Palestinians might use their elevated status to seek the arrests of Israelis. Of course they will. Well, why? The why whole point. I mean, Interpol <laughs> ha, was set up to arrest. Doesn't matter Israelis, Americans, Canadians, Anybody. any criminals and war criminals or are criminals. Fair, fair game. Absolutely. Uh, colonial settler thieves are thieves, and they're illegal under any law. No, but they're thieves. Right. So theft, as last I've checked, is a crime. It still is a crime. Uh, you know, slaughtering hundreds of people is a war crime. Destroying homes is a crime. Ethnic cleansing
0: is a crime. So I guess Benjamin Netanyahu is afraid that he and his, you know, state sponsored uh, state sponsored aggressors are going to be held accountable. So
1: so the Palestinians received two. Veiled threats or not veiled threats, actually. There's the no veiled threats. threat, they're unveiled so threats. Netanyahu said the decision, you know, seriously harms the chances to achieve peace. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, his cabinet minister, Zaev Elkin, uh, he's a close Netanyahu ally, said Israel should cancel gestures granted to the Palestinians. What gestures? What gestures? <laughs> gestures <laughs> planned, <laughs> such as permits to work in Israel to enter Israel. So not they're
0: work. not going to let Palestinian and, slaves and, and, come into and, and,
1: and travel and travel permits. But also, I mean, also the U.S. Mid East envoy, Jason Greenblatt, this is the American side. Netanyahu also uh, in a meeting with, sorry, in a meeting with U.S. Uh, Mid East envoy, Jason Greenblatt, Netanyahu also said the diplomatic warfare carried out by the Palestinians will not go unanswered.
0: Well, on that note, uh, we will be following things. Thank you for listening to us today. Send us your comments to Arab Talk at KPO.com. We'll see you next week.